All right. Well, we're going to enter into a subject that I hope will be a tremendous blessing to you. I've had the privilege of being able to... All right. Is that any better? Is that better? Okay. All right. Well, we're going to get started, and we're going to have the pleasure of trying to discover how important Bible prophecy is. For decades, I've traveled around in different churches and trying to encourage them to get into Bible prophecy by talking about some of the benefits that we gain by discovering the wonderful truth of the Word of God that it gives us the end from the beginning because of the kind of God that we worship. Well, what I want to attempt to do is take that a step further and explore that not only are we supposed to study Bible prophecy because of the benefits that we receive from it, but we're supposed to study Bible prophecy because it's actually commanded for us to do that in the Word of God. And this is something that I haven't seen uh, for very long, but I hope that I'll be able to achieve my goal, and, and that is to try to help you see that this is something that we are actually commanded to do. Now, all Scripture is inspired and is profitable. I'm not trying to communicate that Bible prophecy is more important than other doctrines in the Bible, but we're going to be seeing something which is very unique that revolves around Bible prophecy. And the thing that really kind of, it doesn't confuse me, it's more frustrating than anything else. And that is that lost people are incredibly interested in knowing the future. Lost people are, I I mean, I, I don't know if they still do this, but as it gets towards the end of a year and into the new year, you used to be able to go to the you know, grocery store checkout line and they would have these magazines of supposed prophecies by famous self-proclaimed uh, prophets or prophetesses. And they were happy that they were maybe 75 or 80% correct. Well, that would, land, uh, that, that would have landed them under a pile of rocks in the Old Testament. You couldn't be 75 or 80%. You had to be 100% right and perfect as a prophet. Their problem is, is they're looking in all the wrong places. Uh, They're going to fortune tellers. They're going to palm readers, astrologers, tarot cord readers, psychic hotlines. People actually call people on the telephone who couldn't pick them off of two people off the street and pay them big money. In 2023, $2.3 billion were spent on psychic hotlines. And they could have gone to the bookstore and bought a book for under $50 with a nice cover on it, get one even cheaper than that, that has the absolute truth about the future. We hold it in our hands. We, as believers, have the corner on the market when it comes to Bible prophecy and what's going to take place in the future. Why are so many believers lacking this same kind of interest in studying Bible prophecy? 
Why don't we have that same zeal, that same interest that lost people have about wanting to learn about the future? We, we should be extremely interested in this, especially in the days in which we're living. Now, those of us that have a few years behind us have noticed some real changes in our country. We don't have to look too far. And that's just the beginning. We're not in the tribulation period yet. We're not going to be here, praise the Lord. But the days that we're experiencing are probably some of the worst that many of us have ever experienced. I tell my kids I grew up in Mayberry. Not literally, but during that time, it was just such a wonderful time, an innocent time. You can go outside and have fun and not worry about somebody snatching you away, looking over your shoulder all the time. It was a great, great time. We who have the word of God, we should be studying it and learning what it has to say about Bible prophecy. Many years ago, Bible teacher by the name of A.C. Gabeline, he lived from 1861 to 1945. Now, when I went through Brooks Bible Institute back then, now it's Brooks Bible College, we used every book that A.C. Gabeline ever wrote. He's still a great author to read. You may have to go on uh, Amazon used books and try to get one for a penny and then have to send him $4 for the shipping, but it's worth that penny. It really is good. He is outstanding. Listen what he said. Now remember when he lived, 1861 to 1945, and here's what he said. In our days, we often hear the statement that the coming of the Lord is an unessential doctrine. Those who make such an assertion are ignorant of the fact that the blessed hope is a part of the gospel itself. Christian preaching and teaching which ignores the blessed hope, the coming of the Lord is incomplete. It omits one of the most vital truths which the Spirit of God has linked with the gospel and with the life and service of a believer. That was in 1861 through 1945. What would he say now? What, what would he say if he were living today? There are some people that could go to a church for 25, 30, 35 years and never hear a message on Bible prophecy. That's right, right here in St. Louis. There are denominations that systematically ignore Bible prophecy. Whole denominations. They never hear anything about Bible prophecy. And I don't know how that happens unless you just pick and choose what you want to preach on. They'll probably never go through a book of the Bible because you're eventually going to hit it. They stay away from it. They're told, don't go in that direction. It's divisive. It's confusing. It'll just make your head spin. Totally wrong. Speaking of the importance of prophecy, John MacArthur said, understanding Bible prophecy encourages in two unique ways. First, it serves as a reminder that God controls history. When you read the pages of Scripture, how he keeps his promises, your faith is strengthened. By reflecting on the fulfilled promises of the past, you can find great comfort as you look toward the future. We just heard that about the judgment. Second, understanding God's promise 
promises for the future, provides a solid foundation to which you can anchor your hope. This is one of the most important reasons why we should study Bible prophecy. It's the foundation of our hope. Believers in the Messiah Jesus should be the most hopeful people on the planet. We have a reason to be hopeful because we understand what the end is. We understand what the future is. A sturdy shield with which you can deflect your doubts and fears about tomorrow. That's what studying Bible prophecy is able to do. When you reflect on God's plans and promises for you and for the world, you can face the future without fear. Now, it's interesting that the Lord Jesus spoke prophetically by design, and and he did so during his earthly ministry. Notice what it says. If you have your notes, we're on page two, very top of the page. John 13 and verse 19, where it says, from now on, this is our Savior, from now on, I'm telling you before it comes to pass. I'm telling you things before they come to pass. That's Bible prophecy. And why are you doing this? So that when it does occur, you may believe that I am He. That's mighty important. That takes you right back to the wonderful section there in Exodus chapter 3 about when Moses is supposed to go into Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Well, what if he asked me who sent me? Tell him I am has sent you. So the Lord Jesus takes this wonderful title upon himself, showing that he is equal with the Jehovah of the Old Testament. He's totally equal with God the Father. I and my Father are one. Holy Spirit is included in all of that. So he begins teaching them in such a way that is so unique, so so that when these things come to pass, people are going to say, He was, and he is, because of who he was. Now, how did God do this? How does this happen? By the way, you know, there's no other book on the planet that has Bible prophecy or any kind of future teaching in it. Now, they may quote some of the things that are already in the Bible, but there's nobody within their system that is able to do what the prophets of old and what the apostles did. Totally unique to the Bible. God used the prophets in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he used the Lord Jesus and the apostles to reveal his prophetic plan for the future. This is not happening anymore today. There are no prophets. There there are no more apostles receiving revelation right from the very throne of God. Not only did the Lord Jesus speak this way, but we have so many in the Old Testament. Notice how God spoke to Israel through Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Remember the former things long past. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me. Look what he's able to do. He's able to declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established 
and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. So God is able to do that because he's, he's omniscient. He knows everything. There's nothing that he doesn't know. He did this through other prophets as well. Ezekiel chapter 40. The man said to me, son of a man, see with your eyes, hear with your ears, and give attention to all that I'm going to show you. For you have been brought here in order to show it to you, and then what's he supposed to do with it? Declare it to the house of Israel, all that you see. So they were given information by God, these prophets, and they were supposed to give that information out to the people of Israel. In Daniel chapter 9, it says, He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, this this is Gabriel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. Daniel, you listen very carefully, what you're about to receive, because I want you to give this to the people of Israel. Daniel chapter 10 and verse 14. Now I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision pertains to the days yet future. So God was giving to Daniel information that was going to take place sometime in the future, and this is what Daniel was supposed to give forth to them. There's a very interesting passage in 2 Peter chapter 1, because sometimes, you know, there are people who say, you know what, I I like the New Testament better than the Old Testament, I like the Old Testament better than the New Testament, and it's like they're they're vying for first place. Well, there's no battle going on between the Old and New Testament. It's one book. Notice what it says here. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to do two things. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets. What's that? That's the Old Testament. And then I want you to listen to the commands given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. What's that? It's New Testament. So which is it? Old or new? It's both. It's both and. They're on an equal level. And there are some people who think you've got to take the Old Testament and put it through the lens of the New Testament. And you've got people who, who say you've got to take the New Testament, put it through the lens of the Old Testament. And there's confusion on both ends when that happens. So, why do we want to study those kinds of things that were revealed to the apostles that are given to us in the Word of God? I'm just going to breeze through these very, very quickly. There are scriptures here that you can take a look at at your spare time. Six reasons why we should study Bible prophecy These are the things that I used to go around teaching all the time, the benefits. But as I said, I want to take it a step further as we continue on. It is profitable. Uh, And and by the way, since Bible prophecy is in the Bible, guess what? It's profitable. Even though people are going to say, ah, no, 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 no. We got to minimize that. 
I mean, even some of the greats, they wrote commentaries on every book of the Bible but Revelation. What's that all about? Uh, They don't finish. They didn't, well, I'm not going to criticize them. I haven't written one commentary. But they wrote commentaries on the whole Bible except one, Book of Revelation. It's profitable. Bible prophecy is profitable. It inspires hope. Uh, Titus tells us that Uh, Paul tells Titus that the the second coming is the blessed hope. This is one that I find amazing. When human beings go through the death of a loved one, a family member, it really doesn't get... uh, That kind of ranks one of the highest difficult things that we have to face. Guess what the Apostle Paul uses? Bible prophecy to bring comfort that's exactly what was going on in Thessalonica. People were dying, and they were kind of, what's going on? What's going to happen to them? They're dead. Are, are they going to be included? So Paul gives them clarifying teaching, in, and we heard it over and over again tonight, we should, and, and we should at a conference like this, in 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians 4, 18, it says, Comfort one another with these words. Why would you tell somebody, stay away from Bible prophecy? It's one of the most comforting things that we can experience. It promotes holy living. John tells us that. If you have this hope, you're going to purify yourself. You're going to want to try to do the things that the Lord wants you to do. And I love this. Bible prophecy, it displays God's sovereignty in a very unique way. It shows us that God is in control of everything. What have you experienced that God was not in control of? I remember back in the 1970s, I heard a Bible teacher. And I'm telling you, I can remember exactly what he said. Now, I'm telling, I, I don't know what happened last week. I can't remember a whole lot of what happened last week. But I can remember something that happened in the 70s. He said this. I'm going to tell you something, and I was really young. I was a new believer, and I'm, I'm like a sponge looking for, I'm, I'm trying to soak up everything I can. He goes, I'm going to tell you something that if you follow this, and if you really take this to heart, it will help you during some of the most trying times that you'll ever face. Everything that comes your way, here's what he said, everything that comes your way is father filtered. Now, what does that mean? Now, what, what is a filter? I'm not a coffee drinker, but I, I, am, I watch people make coffee, and they're putting these grains in there, and they, want, they don't want those grains to wind up in the coffee, so they put a filter in. So the filter is designed to keep things out, but let things through. God says that everything that comes your way is filtered through me. If it gets to you, I want you to experience it because there's things for you to learn. That's because God is sovereign. He, we don't know everything, but God does. And then on top of page three, Bible prophecy helps us to interpret the Bible. All the first coming prophecies about Jesus were fulfilled literally. Where did it prophesy for us that the Messiah was going to be born? 
in Micah chapter 5. He was, it was prophesied that he would be born in Bethlehem. So does somebody say, well, what, 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 what does Bethlehem really mean? What do you mean, what does Bethlehem really mean? It means Bethlehem. And you can go on and on and on with all the prophecies about the first coming of the Lord. And even people who are accustomed to not believing that the second coming prophecies should be taken literally, they do admit that the first coming prophecies took place literally. And do you know why? Because they took place literally. Now, whoa. Why all of a sudden, how could you come up with a system that takes the first coming prophecies and view them as literal, but when it comes to the second coming prophecies, they're spiritualized. Inconsistent hermeneutic, right? All the second coming prophecies are going to take place literally as well. Horatius Bonner, a great Scottish Bible teacher. He lived from 1808 to 1889, which means he was a contemporary of J.C. Ryle, different locations. He, he was a contemporary with Charles Spurgeon. Not too many people maybe have heard of Horatius Bonner, but he commented in a book that he wrote called Prophetical Landmarks about the importance of Bible prophecy, especially as it relates to Israel. Listen to what Horatius Bonner said. The prophecies concerning Israel are the key to all the rest. True principles of interpretation in regard to them will aid us in untangling and illustrating all prophecy together. False principles as to them, meaning the prophecies pertaining to Israel, will most thoroughly perplex and overcloud the whole of the word of God. What did he just say? Basically, what he said was this. If you get it wrong about the Bible's teaching on Israel, all else is going to be affected. And I'm just telling you, there are whole denominations There are seminaries, there are churches all around our city and around our country, and I I wish I didn't have to say it. I only say it because when you examine their teaching, they got it all wrong when it comes to Israel. So there's no confusion as to why other things are muddled as well. We need to stick to a solid principle of literal interpretation consistently. That's the only way we're going to be on safe ground. Now here's another major reason why saved people should study Bible prophecy. And this is really what I want to try to emphasize for the rest of my time. Believers are commanded in Scripture to understand future events. Yes, I'm not going to deny that there are benefits from studying Bible prophecy. And I learned this back in 1970, starting in 1972, when the Lord graciously brought me, who would become my mentor, who was my predecessor at Midwest Messianic Center. He served at the center from 1948 to 1988, 40 years. 
He graduated Moody Bible Institute, came right to the center, and he died serving at the center for 40 years. I met him in 1972. And he said to me, early on, you need to learn Bible prophecy and you need to learn theology. He drilled that into me. And, and that's one of the reasons why I was so glad that I went to Brooks. I went there when it was a three-year Bible institute. And out of the 96 credit hours you needed to get your certificate, probably 75 or 80 percent of it was nothing but straight-up theology. Every aspect of every ology we studied, as well as going through some major books of the Bible, like Genesis and Romans and Ephesians, and really digging deep into them, plus going from Genesis to Revelation in the survey style. We didn't take anything about English. We didn't take anything about American history. We were there to study the Bible. Their motto was, if you want the Bible, go to Brooks. And Mr. Elby one time asked me, what do you want to do with your life? And I had just turned 21. Nobody ever asked me that question. And I said, boy, I don't really know. So he says, well, what do you like? And I says, what do you mean, what do I like? And he says, what do you like? Well, I, when I, I was just falling in love with the Word of God. So I just said, I like the Bible. He goes, well, have you ever considered the ministry? And I says, what's that? And he goes, I'm in the ministry. I says, what do you do? I had no idea. I was like, remember, coming from a Jewish background, you're not used to this kind of stuff. He goes, and he explained to me what he did. I says, you can do that? I can, I can spend my time in the Bible and, and, and consider that my work? He goes, if that's what God calls you to do. So... He took me, in, in, right in the middle of the year, January 1973 is when I started Brooks. I was really too new. I mean, I was getting overwhelmed with wonderful truth and, and, and information. And it was great. And he says, you need to study the doctrines of the Bible and focus in on Bible prophecy. He was a fantastic Bible prophecy teacher, and I'm so glad that I met him. I didn't understand it from all of this perspective like I do right now. I was so new in the faith. But I've benefited from learning what the Bible teaches about the future events, and I hope you will as well. Now, I want you to see something. This is in the middle of page three. That we are commanded in Scripture to understand future events. Now, if we're commanded to understand Bible prophecy, we need to be studying the subject and not neglecting it, which is the pattern of many. We should not be uninformed about this topic. Now, we're going to just take a look at a few verses here, and, and all of them have something in common, and I'm sure you're going to see it, that we are not supposed to be uninformed, and we are not supposed to be ignorant about certain things. All of the topics that these verses mention that we are not supposed to be uninformed about, that we are not supposed to be ignorant about, guess what subject it's revolving around? Bible prophecy. And they're in the command mode. These are commands. If you do your Greek study, you'll see that. 
Here's Matthew 24, 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader, what? Understand. Now, I'm just telling you, I could probably ask 10 believers sitting in an average church, could you describe for me the abomination of desolation? And I would hope I would get maybe seven or eight of them. I don't think I would. What is the abomination of desolation? It's in the book of Daniel. It's in the book of Matthew. It's going to take place in the tribulation period. People who are lost, and if the rapture were to take place and they enter the tribulation period, they need to know about the abomination of desolation so they don't get hooked right into Antichrist and his system. We're not going to be there, but it's helpful for us to understand it so we can warn others about it. When you see, this is the middle of the tribulation period, this is the last three and a half years, the great tribulation period, there's going to be this abomination of desolation when Antichrist, who had kind of really tricked Israel, thinking that he was the Messiah, goes in to the temple where they're offering sacrifices to, to God, he's going to say, stop the sacrifices, you've got to worship me now. And then false prophet comes into play, then he brings in the 666, and I don't worry about all these minute details that we may not have every uh, answer to that we wish we would, but we know it's going to happen. And we know that if you get the 666, you're doomed. And you won't even be able to go to a quick trip and buy a soda. Now, if a person is told that, what do you think they're going to want? They're going to want that number. In fact, I could almost envision them pushing people out of the way. No, I want to get in line first. Get out of my way. I want to get up to closer. Because they're going to be so desirous to get this number, not realizing the devastating effect it's going to have upon them. But the reader needs to understand. Take the time to understand what this is. There's some great books back there. Just, I didn't bring my books this time, but Tommy's got a great table. And anything that he's written about Bible prophecy, there's other books that are on the table about Bible prophecy. You've got to spend time. And there's some great godly gifted teachers that have been given to the church who, who, who have put, in the, put this in writing in a very clear way so we could absorb this and take it in. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. We've gone through this, haven't we? But we do not want you to be uninformed. There it is. Well, what, what doesn't Paul want these Thessalonian believers to know about? What does he want them to be informed about? about those who have fallen asleep, believers who have fallen asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. A believer will have a hard time grieving, and they may grieve just like somebody who's lost if they don't understand some of these truths that Paul is so clear about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I don't want you to be uninformed, brethren. He's talking to believers. He's talking to saints about those who fall asleep. 
This is a wonderful, beautiful term for death. When Jesus told his disciples Lazarus is sleeping, boy, it bounced right off their thick skull. Well, if he's sleeping, that's good for you. Let him sleep. No, you're missing it. Lazarus is dead. But the term was, that was used was Lazarus is sleeping. Jehovah's Witnesses mess that all up, don't they? Uh, that's, Jesus wasn't talking about soul sleep or any of those kinds of things that are not biblical. But they're in a wonderful state, a wonderful state. And, and as a result of understanding this, you're not going to grieve like the rest who have no hope. We'll grieve, but not like a lost person. Romans eleven twenty five. I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery. Here's another thing that Paul says. Don't be uninformed about this. And if you're not careful, you will be wise in your own estimation. Now, can I ask you a question? What's a one, what's a one word description of being wise in your own estimation? I'll give you a hint. It starts with P, pride. I'm just telling you, if you don't understand God's mystery program for Israel, and you think that the church has replaced Israel, you're going to be proud. It's unfortunate, but when I talk to a lot of these people who are really, really, really deep into replacement theology, there's an absolute arrogance about it. They're really excited that God has dropped Israel right out of his program and put the church in its place. We shouldn't be glad for that. You need to understand, so you won't be wise in your own estimation, that it's only a partial hardening that has happened to Israel until. You know what that word until means? There's a stopping point. You tell your children, we're going to go on a picnic until three. So when three comes, picnic's over. So Paul says, this hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Don't have time to give you a massive explanation for that, but that's basically the rapture. When the fullness of Gentiles come in, that's the rapture. And and so then, after the rapture takes place, this, this blindness that Israel is under right now is going to be done away with. But if you don't understand those kind of things, you're going to think that God's totally finished with the people of Israel. And we've got a seminary right here, not too far from here, that teaches that. Several of them around our city teach replacement theology. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy talking about the book of Revelation, and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. We need to understand the time is near. Every day that goes by, the return of the Lord is one day nearer. And remember, God is not shackled with time like we are. A thousand years is like one day. So you know how long it's been since Jesus was here from God's time frame? Two days Two days. But in our time frame, a couple of thousand years. But just wait. We need to be patient. It's going to happen when we least expect it, as we heard. 
Revelation 13, verse 18. Here is wisdom. Here's wisdom. Let him who has understanding. Here's here's something else we need to understand. Calculate the number of the beast. For the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. It's not enough just to know the number. What's the mark of the beast? 66. What's it mean? I don't know. I just know the number. No, no. We need to know what this is all about. We need to know what this number is going to be. Now, just those one, two, three, four, five verses right there is proof positive that this study of Bible prophecy is mandatory. We must acquaint ourselves with Bible prophecy because if we don't, we're going to see things happening that we're going to be terribly, terribly confused about. Because we're commanded to clearly understand Bible prophecy, it's not presumption on our part to expect to be able to know and understand the Word of God and what it says about the subject. It's, it's not, we, we shouldn't avoid it because well, I don't want people to think I'm a know-it-all. No, we need to know this. We need, this is revealed. This is given to us. We should spend time getting to know this. Now, I believe that Scripture is very, very clear about this. And I want to give an illustration. And the illustration that I want to give is is found for us in uh, two of the major prophets, Ezekiel and Jeremiah. It's so clear. It, it is so absolutely clear what these passages have to say. And it's, it's about, in some circles, an extremely controversial topic. Two things. Who does the land of Israel belong to? And is there going to be a return of the Jewish people back to the land? And is there a significance to that? And one of the things that we don't understand, and one of the best books you can read on this is on the table on uh, Zionism by Tommy. He really clarifies there are two phases of the return. If that book is still out there, get it. You've got you to read it with a thinking cap on. It's not fluff. It, it, it's not, you've got to really think. But it gives such outstanding history and, and again, he's got a couple of chapters on the return, this whole issue of what these prophets say. Notice in Ezekiel 36. Now, keep in mind and think about how can people deny a return, a physical, literal return of Israel back to the land when you read a passage like that. Please keep that in mind. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act. Stop there. Did you hear what was just said? God is about to do something. And he's telling Israel, this isn't for you. I'm going to act for me. Now, don't think that God is some kind of ogre because he he does things for himself. See, we're, we're, we're... We've convinced ourselves that even our salvation was ultimately for us. No, it was really ultimately for God. 
So God does things just for himself with a reason, with a purpose. So he says, Israel, I'm about to act, but it's, it's not for you. Well, then what's it for? It's for my, my holy name. God has a concern for his holy name. Oh, by the way, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. God scatters the people of Israel, and while they were scattered to the four corners of the globe, they profaned the name of God. They, they took upon the idolatrous ways of the heathens rather than telling them what they heard from the prophets of God. So he says in verse 23, God says, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which, by the way, you have profaned. God's on a crusade. He's on a crusade to do what? Reclaim the holiness of his name, which was profaned among the nations which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their midst or in their sight. Now, how's he going to do this? How, what is God going to do to clean up his name? Look at verse 24. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. I have to ask you a question. How does somebody read that and deny a literal regathering of the people of Israel? No, no, no. We, that's the church. We spiritualize that. Well, was God's name that was profaned by Israel literal or figurative? It's literal. So God is literally going to show his faithfulness, which Israel doesn't deserve. And he's going to regather them from the four corners of the earth where they were scattered and bring them into their own land. In Ezekiel chapter 11, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, though I had removed them far away among the nations, and though I had scattered them among the countries, yet I was a sanctuary for them a little while in the countries where they had gone. Therefore, say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries among which you have been scattered, and I will give you the land. There should be no question in our minds who the land belongs to. None. Uh, Don't get your theology of Israel from CNN or MSNBC or Time magazine. They, They don't have a clue. They don't know what the word of God is talking about. God is clear. It was his land and he gave it to Abraham and his descendants, not through Ishmael, but through Isaac and Jacob. That was his doing. That was a sovereign decision. Israel did nothing. Oh, boy, look at Israel. I've got to give them the land now. I was really thinking about giving it to somebody else. But no, I've got to give it to them because of all that they've done. No, not at all. Now, up to the point that we are living in today. There's been one incredible miracle that has taken place that ranks at the top. Even to this day, it ranks as number one. Jeremiah tells us what it is. Jeremiah 16. 
Bottom of page four there. Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when it would no longer be said, as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Do you know that that event is celebrated every year? It's the longest celebrated continuous holiday on the planet, the celebration of Passover. Every year, the Jewish people assemble together worldwide and remember this deliverance. It, it, it never goes out of their mind longer than a year. So something, as Jeremiah says, is going to eclipse this incredible deliverance. Verse 15. But as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of the north and from all the countries where he had banished them, for I will restore them to their own land, which I gave to their fathers. When God regathers the Jewish people from the four corners of the earth, that's going to put the Exodus, the Passover, in the, in the shadows. How could you deny this? How could you spiritualize this? How do you do that? Well, they have, they have presumptions. They, 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 they enter the scriptures with these, with these presuppositions. This is the way it is. God is finished with Israel and all of these things that the prophets said, all these things that are in the Bible mean nothing. I want to close with this. I'm going to ask you to turn to Jeremiah 31 because it's actually not in my notes. This is kind of some afterthought. But this is an incredible passage in Jeremiah chapter 31. I'll tell you, I didn't find this on my own. I found this by reading J.C. Ryle's book on Are You Ready for the End of Time? Chapter 5. If I had my desire, I would have just read chapter 5 to you and said, let's pray. <laughs> it's so good. I don't. Are You Ready for the End of Time? by J.C. Ryle. Get it? Get it? Get it. This is the verse that he's expounding in chapter 5, Jeremiah 31 and verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations. Who's being addressed? The nations. Who are the nations? Whenever you see nations with an S, plural, it's referring to the goyim, the nations, the Gentiles. When you see nation, singular, 99.9% of the time it's referring to Israel. So, hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and I want you to declare something in the coastlands afar off. This is another way of saying worldwide. Go to all the coastlands afar off, and I want you to declare something. He even tells them what he wants them to declare. Here's what you're supposed to say. He who scattered Israel will gather him. Now I'm just telling you, this is the missing link in the puzzle of Bible prophecy for the nations. Have you ever heard a Gentile believer say this? I haven't heard it one time. And I'm not scolding anybody because this is a pretty obscure prophecy for somebody to say, whoa, I've been missing this one. But now you know about it. So you have no excuse. Here's what you need to say. He who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd keeps his flocks. 
Are you from a, are you from a Gentile background? And we've we got some Jewish believers here, which I'm so thankful for. But most of you are from a Gentile background. You may know some Jewish people and you need some assistance and help. Just talk to some of us. We could help you. But this is one of the things you need to be letting Gentiles know about God. He's a faithful God and he's going to regather the people of Israel. The world, have you noticed how the world is absolutely beginning to hate Israel with a passion? It's unbelievable. We, I mean, we got nations that we're, we weren't even sure that they knew Israel existed. And they hate them all of a sudden. They're operating around the country. For if they, would, if they were to meet them, who, who's parading around, the first thing they want to do is cut their head off. But they're parading in their behalf. They have no idea what they're doing. No idea what they're doing. So we need to realize that God has a plan and he has a purpose. And, and one of the things that we need to be doing is, is making sure that we hold to the literal Grammatical interpretation of the word of God. And if you do that, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. So let's pray and ask God to bless our departure. And I really appreciate you hanging in there. Uh, All three messages, that's not easy to do. You had some great, powerful stuff that was given to you. That was enough to rock many brains just by hearing one of them. And here you stayed for three So we'll pray that God will help you to absorb some of this. But you cannot cannot absorb all of it. So get some of those books, the free books and some of Tommy's books. They're wonderful. His book on Matthew 24 and 25, he just shared a copy with me uh, not too long ago. And I've already started reading it. It's outstanding. It is so clear. And get that one on Zionism because you'll get the two returns of Israel right. Actually, anything is written is good. We'll leave it at that. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank Jeff and his leadership and Christ's fellowship for putting this wonderful conference together that keeps a very important topic that's in your heart before our hearts. And that we should never neglect what your word has to say about the future. We don't want to be guilty of being uninformed. We don't want to be guilty of not knowing what the Bible says about the future or about our Savior, the Lord Jesus, or about the attributes of you, or about the Holy Spirit, or about the church. All of theology is important. But there there seems to be a, a purposeful neglect when it comes to Bible prophecy. May that not be true of us. And we'll thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.